So the second part here is uh, equipping the saints. That's what we're going to look at. But let's go over the vision statement. By the way, if you haven't got a copy of the vision statement, the vision and purpose, uh, vision, mission, and key values, uh, there is a statement up on the table up here. Don't grab it now. Wait until we're done, please. Um, I don't want you getting up right now. So stay in your seat, please. Um, so the vision, the purpose of Northridge Baptist Church. Uh, we start out by saying we are to glorify God, according to 1 Corinthians 10.31, to exalt Jesus Christ, Philippians 2.9-11, by making disciples, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, and by equipping believers, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, which is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, and then looking at uh, the part we looked at last week was to make disciples, Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, it says, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And we said that the main verb in that passage, of course, is to make disciples, to make followers, to make learners. And three participles tell us how we do that, and that we see is by going, by proclaiming the message of salvation, both in our worship services and as individuals, by baptizing by identifying new believers with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and by integrating them into the church body, and by teaching, instructing believers in God's truth by accurate, exegetical, and thorough teaching of the Bible. And so that was the first half of our vision, and by our vision, that's what we want to be doing as a church, making disciples. How's that for a quick review? That's probably the quickest review you'll get from someone up in the pulpit area here, and I'm getting a little golf clap from my wife, so that must be good, I guess, I don't know. Nancy Pelosi clap. All right. That has to be really good, I guess. Um, so, so that's the first part. The second part we're going to look at this morning is the purpose of the church is to make disciples. And also, I think the, the another big part of what our purpose, our vision is, is to equip the saints. The passage we're going to look at this morning is in Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. If you can remember back almost a year ago, I've, I preached this from the pulpit. Um, and I'm guessing, like me, you probably don't remember much of what I, what I preached, okay? So we're going to go over this, and it's going to be a little bit different than what I preached anyways. But Ephesians 4, 11 says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here's what our vision statement says, that we are to equip the saints with uh, these characteristics, a pastor leading, pastors leading the church by training believers, to have the church serving, where believers are ministering to each other under the pastor's guidance and the Holy Spirit's leading, so that the people are growing, that believers are moving towards Christ-likeness in their personal lives and as a church body. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, that our vision is uh, for the saints, the believers, to be equipped. So before we dig into this passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do praise you. We thank you for the message this morning from Pastor Strope. Uh, the challenge is uh, to be living under your great power and your great grace, both as individuals and as a church. Uh, Lord, uh, certainly that's what we want to be as Northridge Baptist Church. We pray that you would um, just help us, Lord, to uh, do our part to make that commitment to you, even though when we don't feel like it and even though we don't think we have the power to do it, to take that first step and to trust you by faith and to lean on your great power and your great grace and watch you for the results in our life, Lord. We just pray that you would just use us as you will that we would make ourselves open or humble to your Spirit's leading, uh, that we would confess that sin in our life, and that we would move forward in obedience to you, Lord, depending on your word and your Spirit's leading, that we would do what's right and please you. Lord, help us this morning as we study this passage out, uh, that we would see uh, what your purpose and vision is for our church. Uh, help us to have a good discussion this morning, uh, and that we would... Uh, come to the conclusion of what you would want from Northridge Baptist Church. Lord, we just thank you for this time now. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Um, before we get started, I would like to remind you, too, that as we go through this, this is, uh, again, the third draft of our vision statement. We're trying to refine this and set forth what is the vision of the church. The purpose of this is to have a statement that as we evaluate what we're going to do as a church, what kind of ministries we're going to have, what kind of uh, programs we might say, or what kind of uh, ministries we're going to do that we're filtering them through a church vision, saying, is this something that meets what our vision is, what our purpose is, uh, we can say yes or no, and we can point to something definitive and say, yes, this meets what we want to do, or no, this is not really something that we see is the church's purpose. Uh, and so that's, as we're going through this, we're, we're not only trying to teach what we think the Bible teaches, what a church is and what a church is supposed to be doing, but also to kind of guide and direct so that if someone comes in and says, oh, I have this great idea, let's do uh, uh, balloon ministry with the church. And we can say, well, that's, that's a neat idea, but how does that fit with the church's vision? How does that fit the vision of making disciples and equipping the saints, as we're going to look at? Um, and so what we want to do is, as, as I'm teaching through this, I want you to think, okay, does this, number one, meet what the Bible teaches about what a church should be and what a church should do? And number two, is there anything that uh, we as leaders, as we've developed this, and as we've written this, that we're missing, that we got wrong, that we got right, or that we, maybe we should expand on a little bit more, maybe we're, there's more that we should say, um, that you want to add, because uh, at the end I'm going to open it up for questions, comments, concerns, or uh, any additions you might want to add. So I want you to be thinking about that as we teach through this. And again, I'm not going to go through every single point or every single um, theological thing through here, so I, I'm not... I'm not going to delve like, into the deepest theologies of these things. I'm just going to kind of cover this at, at, as best I can in an hour here. Uh, so we might not hit everything, but you, you might say, well, it's good, but you missed this, or maybe we should add this, or no, I disagree with that. But I want you to be thinking through it as, as we do this of anything we might have missed or anything you, you think needs to be there or doesn't need to be there or whatever, okay? So keep that in mind as we do this. So I, I think uh, as we look at this vision, the vision we're looking at, what, what's the mission of the church? Last week we looked at making disciples, and uh, it seemed like from the response that you guys were really good with uh, the statement about making disciples by going, by baptizing, by teaching. So the two-fold vision for a church is to make disciples and to equip the saints. This is what I think we're here to do as a church. Uh, making disciples is kind of an outward focus. How do we get people from being unsaved to being saved and being the people that God wants them to be. This is kind of an inward focus for the church. Why do we meet together? Why do we get together on Sundays? Why do we get together on Wednesday nights? Why do we have backyard fellowships? Why do we have prayer meetings? It's to equip the saints. And so the mission of the church, in part, is to equip believers. To equip believers. How do we do that? And as we look at this, Ephesians 4 gives us a purpose for the church. And Paul explains this in Ephesians 4.13 by telling us what resources God has given us to carry out the church's mission, who is to carry out the mission, and what the result of the mission should be. And this mission is to equip the believers. So, first of all, he gives us uh, the, the, the resource that, that God has given us. And the church is resources that the church is to be led by God's appointed leaders. And God has given us people to make sure that the mission can happen. God has given us these resources in people to make sure that his mission can be accomplished. And as we look through this passage, there's four categories of people that God has given, and we'll look at it, and we don't have all these resources today in actual real-life people. We have all the resources, but not, you'll see, not available to us in real, alive people. I'll put it that way. Uh, but the first resource that he gives us is apostles. He's given us apostles, and we see that in verse 13. He gave some to be apostles. Apostles are, first of all, they're foundational. Apostles are foundational people. What do I mean by Foundational. What's a foundation? A foundation is what you start with, right? You build a building. You start at the basic part of it. You start with the foundation. You start 
with the bottom of the building, and you build on top of it. You don't build the roof first on a building, right? We have a couple of people that have worked on buildings here, right? Lemuel, Carpenter Boys, you guys have worked on buildings recently, right? You don't, you don't start by throwing up a roof first, right? You start in the basement. You start digging a hole in the ground and, and pouring the foundation. That's what apostles are. They're a foundation for the church. Ephesians 2 and verse 19 tells us, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. And it's talking about us as a church. You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So it's talking about us as a church. We're no longer outside the church. And he's talking to Gentiles here. Remember, Gentiles were foreigners and strangers from the nation of Israel. So he's, he's saying back in the day before Christ, you guys were outside of Israel. You were foreigners. You were strangers. You had no part of Israel. You could come be part of Israel, but you know Israel wasn't very open to that most of the time. And so it was difficult. But because you've trusted Christ and because of the new covenant here, you're now citizens of God's household. You're saints. We're going to talk about saints in a little bit. You're members of the household of God. And how are you members of the household of God? Well, you've been built on the foundation. A foundation that's made up of the apostles and prophets. And we're going to talk about prophets in a second. And Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The main first piece of the foundation is Jesus Christ. He set the stage, the, the first part of this foundation of the church. It's all built on Jesus Christ, on his death and resurrection. And then the apostles and the prophets became that foundation that the church is built on. And how are they the foundation? Well, we just taught out of Acts 2, uh, just recently under Pastor Strope. Remember, the, the church uh, gave themselves over to the apostles' doctrine. The, the apostles set that foundation by their teaching. They instructed the church at the beginning and said, this is what the church is built upon, the teaching of the apostles. So the apostles were foundational for the church. Not only were they foundational, they were temporary. In the sense of, we don't have apostles today. They're not temporary in the sense of, we have the teaching of the apostles in the word of God, but they're temporary in the fact that... um, Pastor Jim is not going to be Apostle Jim anytime soon. No. I'm not going to be Apostle Sean. Um, And uh, looking at verse 20, once again in Ephesians 2, having been built, what kind of verb is that? Past tense. Again, they're foundational. How often do you build a foundation on a house, Matthew, when you're building? You build it once. You don't build the foundation and start building the walls, build the roof, and then go back and build another foundation for a house. It's foundational. It's built at the beginning. Once you build the foundation, the foundation's done. And this is said past tense. You build the foundation. The apostles are built. It's done. You don't need another foundation. God's purpose in the foundation is to build it once. So it's our foundation of the apostles, the prophets, and Jesus Christ. God built that. It's done. The apostles' role is finished. We have the word of God. We have the teaching of the apostles there. That's where we have the apostles. So it's temporary in the sense there's no more apostles. It's permanent in the sense that where do we get the apostles' teaching from? Where do we get the apostles' doctrine from? You have it in your hands. You have it in your Bible. That's where we get the teaching for the apostles. So, so when I say temporary, I don't mean that, oh, no, we lost everything from the apostles. We have it in God's word. We just don't have apostles in our church anymore. Now, it's funny. Um, we're living in North Carolina, and we, we were driving about a half hour, 35 minutes to church. That's about right. And um, we're driving on one of the main roads through town to get to church. And there's this billboard up, and uh, one of the churches is advertising that they have the apostles so-and-so coming to their church for meetings. And I'm like going, wow, this guy's really old, because if he's an apostle, he must have been around in the first century church, so he must be like 2,000-some years old. That's great. This is an old guy coming to this church and preaching. i got to see this guy. He's 2,000-some years old. Amazing. 
it's kind of a joke. Um, no, there, there's no apostles. They're, they're gone. They're, the apostles are all dead and buried now. So apostles are temporary. That's the first thing. Um, so you have apostles are the first thing. The church is appointed by leaders, also by prophets. God's appointed leaders are apostles or prophets. What are prophets? Well, let's think of the first thing. The first thing we think of as prophets, it uh, looks like some reason my formatting got changed here, but that's okay. We'll just go with it. Uh, prophets are those who receive messages from God directly. Um, sometimes in preaching circles, we get this confused. I've had uh, preachers who have said that prophets are anyone who delivers God's message, so preachers are prophets. That's not technically true. Preachers and prophets are not the same thing. You're not a prophet just because you handle God's word. Prophets are technically those who receive direct revelation from God. For instance, you know, uh, remember the story where uh, Paul uh, was determined to head to Jerusalem, and I believe the prophet's name was Agabus, was that his name? Uh, he comes out and he grabs Paul's belt and ties it around him and says, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound. That's his message from God. And Paul continues to Jerusalem, and that's what happens. That, that was a prophecy from God. God gave him that message. That, that didn't come from him. But that was a prophet. Someone He received a direct revelation from God. God told him to say that. So those who receive messages direct from God, if God speaks to you and tells you something, then you're a prophet. Uh, second way that there's prophecy is those who receive the word of God directly and record it. Those are prophets. You say, well, that, what do you mean that those who receive the word of God directly are recorded? Well, look at Second uh, uh, Peter here, Second Peter verse 20. Um, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, this time about Jesus, but was manifest these last times for you. Verse 21 says, Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. And I have the wrong verse in here. I have the right verse in the notes. I put First Peter into my slideshow instead of Second Peter. Read it out your notes. Don't read the slideshow. Second uh, Peter 1, verses 20. Knowing that the first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Verse 21, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. What kind of prophecy is this talking about? This is talking about the prophecy of Scripture. This is talking about God giving his word to men to record as Scripture. So this you might think of like the prophet Isaiah who received a word from God and it got recorded as the book of Isaiah. Peter is using here as New Testament people recording the word of God as prophecy from God to be recorded as scripture. And so, how do we have prophets nowadays? Well, we have it as the word of God again. So once again, prophecy in both those forms has ceased. Why has prophecy ceased? Well, we have what God wants to tell us already in his word. I'm not going to go through and prove how prophecy has ceased, but if you want to know more why I believe prophecy has ceased, I, I'll stay with you afterwards and tell you why I believe that prophecy has ceased, why it no longer is coming directly from God. I believe that the word of God, God has given us everything that we have that we need for life and godliness, that we have the sufficient word of God, and that God speaks to us everything we need to know in his word. So that prophecy has ceased. So we don't have any prophets in the church anymore other than the prophecy that we have in the word of God. That's all we need. So prophecy has ceased. So who else is the church led by? Well, another God-appointed leader is an evangelist. Now what's an evangelist? You guys can answer this one. I'm going to let you answer this one. What's an evangelist? One who preaches the good news. That's a good answer. I'm going to challenge you on this one a bit. I don't think that's quite right. It's what's in my notes, right? I'm leading you astray a little bit here. So I have in the notes one who preaches the good news, right? 
I don't think that this is that this is because we get this idea that someone's evangelist, so this is someone who's gifted. They just go out and they, they preach the good news, and uh, so we start going. Well, we have evangelists, and I'm not an evangelist, so you know I, I don't have to preach the good news because I'm not an evangelist. I don't have that gift. I'm not called by God to be an evangelist. So that guy's an evangelist. He should be the one teaching the good news. I don't have to worry about it, right? Because God has, a, you know, I, I'll, I'll talk about God when I get the opportunity, but I don't really have to, that, God hasn't given me that gift. He hasn't given me that role. I'm going to tell you that not being an evangelist, this doesn't excuse us from sharing the gospel. First of all, just because God gave some people to be evangelists. Now, if you look at this passage, and I'm going to skip ahead here in your thoughts, and I'm going to come back and prove it later, but you look in this passage here, it says, God gave these men, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor, teachers. Why did he give them? To equip the saints. So the evangelist isn't here just to do the evangelism for you. The evangelist is here to equip the saints. So I don't think that this is talking about a guy that goes out and just shares the gospel on behalf of the church. I think this is a guy who's gifted to train the church to learn how to share the gospel. What I think this evangelist in this passage is, is a person who serves in a type of pastoral role with a specific duty of teaching you and me how to go on and share our faith. Or to, to, to administrate the church in getting the gospel out. He was doing the work of an evangelist. Tim, Timothy was a pastoral type, but he was supposed to still share the gospel or, and, or to train sharing the gospel. I think an evangelist, and again, in this case, because otherwise we'd say the pastor-teacher should be the only person teaching. And we know that Paul commands others to teach in the church. And so... So here, I think, because the evangelist, the evangelist is supposed to be equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, that the evangelist, in some way or some form, is either equipping the saints to be better at sharing the gospel, or the evangelist is to be administrating the church in the work of sharing the gospel as a unit, a body. And so it seems to be some kind of pastoral role with the purpose of training up or equipping believers to be able specifically in the area of sharing the good news with the lost. It's not, well, we got an evangelist, he goes out and shares the gospel, so we can sit here and just hang out as a, a club and, and just, just huddle together and, and worship God together so we don't have to deal with them. No, the evangelist helps us to do that work of the ministry to share the gospel. That's what I think the evangelist here is. And too often I think we, we, we get this idea, well, I, I don't have that gift or I don't have that role, so I can't do it. No, that's our responsibility to do the work of the ministry. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. So that's the evangelist. The last role here, the last appointed leader is the pastor-teacher. I say pastor-teacher, pastor-teacher. Well, it says pastors and teachers, right? Well, I'm not going to go too much into the Greek here, but um, you see a lot of ands in this passage, right? I love English. There's this and, 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 and. The Greek, there's two different words for and used in this passage. Some of the apostles, I want to get this right here. Um, he gave some to the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists. In between all these, there's a word and in the Greek. It's the word uh, de, de. It's uh, a word and that means and, and it means like and of a different type. It's like saying apples and, um, no, apples and um, beets, a fruit and a vegetable. They're two different things. Then it gets to this one. It says pastors and teachers. Now it's saying apples and pears, which are two more similar things. Different word, kai. 
It's comparing two things of a similar nature, or two things that maybe even of the same nature. I have that in your notes there. There's a comparison between two similar things. The pastor and the teacher. In this case, it's saying the pastor is the teacher and the teacher is the pastor. So they're the same thing. So that's why we categorize these together. Pastor, teacher are synonymous. And you've been in this church long enough to know the pastor is a shepherd, has the idea of care, it has the idea of leading, has the idea of provider. And a teacher, of course, is the one who teaches, one who, who feeds, one who uh, gives training to. So uh, the pastor is a teacher, the teacher is a pastor. And in comparison, comparing this to the evangelist, uh, who the evangelist's specific role seems to be training in the area of sharing the gospel, I would say the pastor's role, and I didn't give you this, the pastor's role would be to be training up uh, where was I? The pastor will be in the purpose of training up or equipping believers in the areas maybe of sanctification, sanctification or spiritual growth. This would be uh, specifically for believers in their walk. It's not so much, and, and the pastor, not that they wouldn't train in evangelistic stuff, like Pastor Jim was saying, to, to, writing to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. There would be evangelistic training by the pastor. But his focus would be with believers in their walk train them up in the word of God, train them up in teaching. Uh, it wouldn't be so much a focus only on evangelism, but on the whole word of God. So that would be the pastor's role. So what, what's going on here? So God, the church is get, uh, led by God, God-appointed leaders, and their purpose here is to equip believers. And that we see in verse 12. It's for the equipping of the saints to equip believers. This word equip has the idea of to train believers. It's equipping or training. Uh, the purpose of the leaders and the reason to have an assembly, the reason why we get together is not to enjoy each other's company. It's not to hang out. It's not to go have some donuts after the service. It's not to talk about how great the Green Bay Packers are. It's not to whatever other reasons. The reason is that we're equipped. It's the reason that, uh, that uh, to, to be able to have the, the means to accomplish what God's purpose is. What God's mission is, is to give us the tools that we need to do what God wants us to do. That's why we gather together. That's why we need to be here. That's why we need to be gathering together. That's what our focus needs to be. How do we accomplish what God wants us to accomplish? That's why we have teaching. That's why our worship needs to focus on accomplishing what God wants to be accomplished. That's why our fellowship needs to be focused on what God wants to accomplish. That's the purpose of the church. He wants us to be equipped. So um, the equipment is the saints. So the saints is us. And the saints, it's a Greek word. Uh, the saints means to be set apart ones. So if you think about who we are, believers are saints. Saints are set apart. Well, what does it mean to be set apart? Set apart means to be set aside for something, set apart for a task. We are set apart to do God's will. That's who we are. God has set us apart. Uh, again, you think of Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. Uh, not by works, not that any man should boast. For we are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus Set apart for good works, right? God has set us apart for a reason. We're here to do good works. We're here to do God's will. We're set apart for him. We're saints. So we need to be doing that. So, so these people, these, set aside, these God-appointed leaders, they are gifts to us from God in the context of the church to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish in his church. Why we have a pastor well, we, we don't have a head pastor right now. Why do we need a head pastor? Because he's there to equip us to do what God wants our church to do so that God's goals can be accomplished. 
That's why God wants us to have a pastor. Pastor Strope is partially fulfilling that role right now so that we can have a direction, so that we can have goals, so that we can grow and do what God wants us to do. I'm thankful for his message this morning. It was challenging to me. I, I appreciate that. I have a lot to think about from what he said this morning. It was good. Um, but he's not here all the time. He's not doing a full-time role of what a pastor can do. We need to be moving forward, so we, we need to get things in place so that we can get to the point where we can call another pastor because that's what God wants us to have in the church. He wants us to have people that can lead us, God-appointed leaders that can lead us so that we can be equipped to do what God wants us to do. So those, those are the people, the, the resources that God gives us. And for us today, God can give us evangelists, pastor, teachers, those two people, so we have resources to do what God wants us to do. Second thing that God shows us is that the ministry is carried out by, by the saints. And these are the ones responsible for the ministry. Um, too often, and I'll get to this in a second, I guess, the, the, ministry is carried out, the ministry of the church is carried out by the saints. The work of the ministry, it talks about here, that uh, verse 12, uh, the, the, these pastors... Evangelist pastors, teachers are for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry here. And too often, uh, too often we uh, ascribe the ministry to pastors, to deacons, to church leaders. We think of ministry going to ministers. You know, the minister does the ministry. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches the work of the ministry is to the body, the church. We're to be all to be ministers. You know, if you went out to talk to just a normal person, who's a minister? Well, that's the guy with the white collar and the, the, the suit, and he's the minister. No, you're a minister. Every single one of you that's here that's saved is a minister. You're to be doing the work of the ministry. And if you're not serving, you're not ministering very well. We're to be doing the work of the ministry. Again, God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you. Uh, God gives the responsibility um, of ministry to all believers. It's the equipping of the saints, all the saints, for the work of the ministry. Every single believer has a responsibility to minister. The word work in this passage is a work ergon. We get uh, ergonomics from it. That's the study of how things work, um, how it works well or doesn't work well. Um, the word that goes with work is action. God wants us to be in action. He wants us to be doing things. You can't be doing the work of the ministry if you're just sitting in the pew. You need to be doing something. God wants you to be serving in the church. And by in the church, I don't mean in the building. I mean in the body. Serving each other. Helping each other. Ministering to each other. All believers are to be accomplishing what God wants in this church. We are to be working and serving and ministering. Ministry. The word ministry is diakonia. You know this word because we get the word deacon from it. It means service. Literally, it's through the dust, but it means service. We're to be serving. Again, I like what Pastor Strope talked about, that uh, the opposite of quenching the spirit, he said, was what? He said pride and selfishness. And he said that then if we were just humble and selfless, and he talked about that for the Christian... There's no job that's beneath you, right? And that's the attitude you take. If you have that kind of attitude, you know what? It's going to be easy to serve. Because all you have to do is see a need, and you can say, there's nothing beneath me. I can do that. I can serve. I can do whatever job there is. And that makes it easy to serve, and you can be of service to others. And I put it here, pastors are not ministers. Christians are ministers and are able are to be doing what God wants the church to be doing, whatever job there is. 
whatever ministry there is, we're to be doing. Ephesians 4.16, this is a couple verses down from the passage we're in. Look at what it says here. From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, uh, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself of its for the edifying of itself in love. Every part does its share. There's not a single member, a single person in the church that's not important. Every part needs to do its share if it's to work. I was thinking um, in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, where it talks about that um, if one member suffers, uh, the whole body suffers. I don't often think about my little toes very often. I don't know if you do. I, I don't. They're just kind of there. Um, recently, I'm on a, a medication for my migraines. Um, and one of the side effects of my migraines is that, or this medication is that it sometimes causes uh, tingling in my extremities, just out of nowhere. Um, and for a while it did that, and then for a while it doesn't do it, and now it's starting to do that again. It's weird. Um, but once in a while, my toes start to tingle, like numbness. And then my little toes start to get numb, and then I start thinking about it. And I'm like, well, that's strange. I don't think about my little toes, but now they're numb. And I start thinking, oh, I have little toes. And it, it, it's like if one member suffers, then you start thinking about it, you have little toes. Normally, I don't think about little toes. And now I know they're there. And every part's important. And you may not always think about the little parts, but every part of the body is important. Every part needs to do its share. And if your parts aren't doing its share, it doesn't work right. And the church is like that. Every part needs to do its share. And you may think to yourself, I'm just a little toe. Well, you're an important little toe then. You're an important part of the body of God. And... and I don't think anybody's a little toe, honestly. I think every part is more important than that. Um, I think sometimes I'm a little toe, okay? So I think everybody gets that feeling. And you're important to God. You're important enough that he's placed you in his body. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He sent his son to die for you. So to God, you're extremely important, right? And you are an important part of the body of Christ. And you need to be here. You need to be doing your part and doing your share and ministering to somebody. And you can have a great impact on the kingdom of God. And you need to realize that every part needs to do its share and supply uh, what what every joint needs to supply for the effective working of the body and cause that growth for the body. You're there. You're important for a reason. Um, So we need to do the work of the ministry. um, And there's an edifying of the body of Christ. And if you look at this passage here, it's, uh, we have the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and also for the edifying of the body. And this is the point. We're edifying, we're building up the body. That's what this word edify means. It's an upbuilding. It's a, it's a, it's a, this is really, a, literally, a building term in the Greek. It's, it's building up a building. It's, we talked about the foundation of the prophets is building on top of that foundation and, and building up a structure. That's, the body is building up its own structure. It's not the pastor building it up. It's not the evangelist building it up. It's the body building itself up. We're working together on building this church. We're the ones responsible for it. And this, this edifying here, it's not, it's, I don't think it's an individual edifying. We're not... Um, talking about personal edification. It's not me edifying you, you edifying me. It's the church edifying itself. It's building itself up. It's a, it's a group thing. It's everybody edifying itself up. It's the church working together. And it does involve personal edification. You know, if, pers- if one person's hurting, everybody hurts, that kind of idea. So you do have to edify each other individually, but it's the church working together to build itself up. Um, so here is the, the idea that the body builds itself up. It strengthens itself so that it continues to grow and continues to minister and continues to reproduce itself. That's what we need to be doing. Going back to Ephesians 4.16 again. Again, from the whole body, joined in this together by what every joint supplies, 
according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The church is to be building itself up by working together. As we minister to one another, we're, we're strengthening the church. We're strengthening the body here. We're strengthening each other. That's how God intends it to be, and we need to be doing that. It's not the pastor's job. It's not the evangelist's job. They're giving us tools, but it's our job working together. That's what God wants us to be doing, to build each other up. God has given us the leaders we have in the church for the purpose of equipping us, us, the church, the body, every single one of us, to accomplish his purpose for us within the church. And we need to work together. We need to be doing the ministry to accomplish that purpose. So that's the who of um, the ones responsible for this mission of edifying. And then number three here, the expected results of this mission of the edifying is the goal of the church is maturity of the saints. God has a purpose for us that we would be mature. In this passage, and it goes on to, to describe it in, in the following verses, but there's four things in, in verse 13 here that it talks about. So the goal is maturity, and the first thing that Paul points out is that we come to the unity of the faith. And, and for the longest time, I always thought of this as that we'd be unified. I always read this wrong, that we come to the unity of the faith, that we come to be unified together, that we, we'd, we'd be one happy family. That's not what this is saying here. This is literally here saying that we come to oneness of belief. What Paul's telling us is that we're to be working together, we're to be serving together, ministering together under the care of pastors, evangelists, under the teaching of the prophets and uh, the apostles and the word of God. So we come to a solid grounding in biblical doctrine. So hence, the giving of the pastors and teachers is to equip us in solid biblical teaching. That God's point is that he wants us to know the truth. He wants us to understand the truth, and he wants us to come and accept the truth. The reason we come here, the, the primary focus ought to be the teaching of the Word of God. I put it this way, and you see on your notes, the truth is the truth. I've, I've driven around Des Moines, and I'm sure you've seen these signs around. I have, and they, they make me mad sometimes. Um, but they say something like this, love is love. Have you seen these signs? And they're, they're to, I think they're to promote like the gay rights agenda. And they just they make me sick because it, it's just, it, it says nothing, really. If you think about it, it, it says absolutely nothing. Um, and it's, it's wrong. And I want to say truth, yeah, but truth is truth, right? There's a right and wrong. There, there's a right and wrong. There's a, there's a God who's a God of truth. And there's going to be an accounting for truth. But truth is truth. And, and that's what we stand for, the truth. And God wants us to know what the truth is. And God wants us to teach the truth. And he wants us to come to know what the truth is. And the primary focus of what we do here as a church body, as it pertains to people who are believers, and why we gather here is to proclaim the truth so that we all come to understand what the truth is and that we come to a unity and say, yes, this is the truth. Now, there are areas where we're going to disagree on. I bring up this example a lot, and I bring it up with Pastor Jim because I think Pastor Jim and I land in different areas on this. The issue of dichotomy and trichotomy. Is man two parts or three parts? Is man body, soul, and spirit? Or is man physical and non-physical? I think Pastor Jim lands on the body, soul, and spirit. Maybe. I, I land on man is physical and non-physical. Because I don't see how you split up the non-physical ever. It's all the same to me. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change either of our theology. It's, it's a non-issue type of thing. It's fun to debate. It, but it doesn't get you anywhere. So stuff like that, who cares? 
it's a fun theological debate. You can have fun for hours discussing it and going to verses where, look, here in this verse, Paul says body, soul, and spirit, and here, you know, here it doesn't separate the two. You know, you could go to uh, Hebrews 4, and you have uh, uh, flesh and bone and spirit and uh, soul, and you got four parts there. So what do you do with that? Okay, I don't know. Maybe it's four parts. Who knows? Uh, you know, you can have all kinds of arguments with that. Who cares about that? But when it comes to, like, basic doctrinal truths, there is truth. There is things that are true. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is the only acceptable sacrifice to pay for sins. By faith alone is man saved. Faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, you, you can go on and on. There's things that are true and absolutely true, right? And we're going to teach that, and we want people at Northridge Baptist Church to come to know what the Bible teaches is absolutely true. And we want people to come in agreement and say, this is what's true and this is what we believe. So truth is truth. And we're going to teach that. So come to the unity of faith. Second thing he says is come to the knowledge of the Son of God. Well, this sounds very similar, right? Come to the knowledge of the Son of God. That's, that kind of fits that truth is true type thing, right? Well, this knowledge word is a little bit different word. It's epigenosis. Um, it's... I got a bunch of duplicate sides in here. Um, it's it's a word. It means knowledge. Well, that's helpful, Sean. Thank you. Glad you put that down. Recognition, consciousness. This word has the idea of a deep knowledge of something. And I thought about this. How am I going to explain this? Well, I can come up here and say I know Pastor Strobe. I know who he is. I know a little bit about him. He's the pastor at Ankeny Baptist. I know that he played basketball in high school. From what I understand from what he said, I don't think he was a great player. It's not like he sat at the bench more than he played. I know he likes basketball now because he watches he watched the playoffs and watched the Bucks win the championship this year. Um, I, know, I know he rides a bicycle. I learned that this morning. I know he has struggles with high cholesterol. I learned that this morning. I know he has a wife and some kids. He has a daughter. I, I heard that this morning. I know, I know things about Pastor I know Pastor Strope, right? Um, so I, I know Pastor Strobe. I know Pastor Jim. Well, I know Pastor Jim better than I know Pastor Strobe. I know a lot more about Pastor Jim. I can tell you a lot more about Pastor Jim. I can tell you how Pastor Jim is going to react to stuff. I know uh, a lot of Pastor Jim's likes and dislikes. I know Pastor Jim's moods and attitudes and stuff like that. I, I know Pastor Jim. I, I, I know Pastor Jim. I know Susan. I, I know Susan. <laughs> I, I know Susan better than anybody else in this auditorium knows Susan. In fact, I know things about Susan that nobody else in this auditorium knows about Susan. This epigenosis is that kind of know that the way I know Susan is the way that this epigenosis talks about knowing Christ. It's an intimate knowledge. It's knowing Christ on that kind of level. You know, I, I could say, I could go up and say, or somebody could come up to me and say, I'm going to tell Pastor Strope this, this really controversial thing. How is he going to react? And I could say, well, he might react like this. Because I don't know Pastor Strope that well. They could say, well, I'm going to tell Pastor Jim that. I could say, well, I'm pretty sure Pastor Jim might react like this. And I, I might be 85% on that. They could say, I'm going to tell Susan this. I say, well, I'm pretty sure this is how she's going to react. So there's a different level of knowledge. This, this knowledge, again, of Jesus is a deep knowledge. It's knowing who he is, what he's like, what his desires are for you. That's how God wants us to know Jesus Christ. It's this epigenosis. So we are to come to a deep and intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what God's desired result is for us. Not that we'd say, oh, I know who Jesus Christ is. Yeah, I know, I know he's the Son of God. I know he died on the cross for our sin. I, I know that he's coming back. I, I know that there's, there's a book he wrote that tells us what to do. I, I know there's, there's things I should be doing. No, it's knowing who he is, what his desires are for us, how he wants us to live, who he wants us to be. It's... it's 
having a care about that. It's having a desire to please him. It's having a desire that, that when I'm not pleasing him, that it makes a difference to me. It's having this deep knowledge and relationship with Christ. That kind of knowledge is what God wants us to have. So a deep and intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. He also says that we would come to a perfect man. At this point you're saying, a perfect man, come on. I, I try hard. I, I, I really want to live for God, but a perfect man, that's, that seems impossible. But i got good news for you, at least a little bit. This word perfect doesn't mean perfect. Okay? This word perfect means complete. It means complete. It's the word teleos. It gets translated perfect a lot, but it's the idea of having everything that you need to be who you need to be. We see this word perfect in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. And you know this passage. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's for teaching. For reproof. That's for telling you, hey, you're wrong. For correction. That's telling you, hey, you need to do this to get yourself right. For instruction in righteousness. That's for telling you, hey, you're doing good. Here's how you stay good. That the man of God may be complete. Because if you know what is right, if you know what's wrong, if you know how to make that wrong right, and if you know how to keep your right right, you have everything you need. That makes you complete. That gives you everything you can completely do to do what? So you can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You have everything you need to do what God wants you to do. That makes you complete. That's like if I'm going to build a table, and I go through my toolbox, and I have all the tools I need and all the materials I need to build my table, I'm completely ready to go. That's what God's doing for you. He wants you to be complete. He wants you to have all the tools that you need so that you can go forth and you can do what God wants you to do. And God's goal for you, by providing you apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and by having you work together to minister to each other, to build up each other, to equip each other, is that you have everything you need to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. That's his goal for the church. That you would be completely able to do what God wants you to do. So this idea of complete uh, seems to be the idea of taking the truth and making it work in our lives, that we are complete in how we act upon the truth. That we are people who live based on the teaching of God's word so we can do everything, accomplish everything that God wants to do in us. And it starts by being here and using the resources that God has given us. And then the last thing he says in this verse here is that we come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is a very difficult in the Greek because... The measure of the stature of the fullness, this word stature, uh, is used seven times in the New Testament. And the other six times it's used to talk about physical growth. And so this is the only time it's ever talked about spiritual growth. Uh, so the idea is, it seems to be that you physically, or you spiritually grow up to be like Christ. So I, uh, this is how I've taken that. that, that this, this is a process for us that we continue in until we are complete and becoming like Christ. So the goal of God equipping us is fulfilled, is finalized when we could become totally like Christ. So God continues to want us to come to the unity of our faith. He keeps on wanting us to learn the truth. He wants us to continue to continue to get that intimate knowledge of Christ. He wants us to continue um, in working to become complete, to be fully given the tools we need to do what's right until we are perfectly like Christ. Well, when does that happen? Jim, how old were you? Yeah, 75. 75. Are you there yet? 
Um, what's your timetable on that? Uh, th two years? Three years? How, how much? Uh, what, 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 where, are you, where are you at? I mean, you must have a time. Okay. You mean you, you? I mean, you have to be pretty close to being like Christ. Like you're almost like Christ-like, right? Okay. But you're 75, so I mean, you, you've been working at this a while. So why? Okay. Yeah. So you see, here, here's the thing. So, Pastor Jim's 75. That puts him 27 years older than I am. He's not there yet. I'm thinking, 27 years, I'm probably not going to be there yet. How long is this going to take? John, John gives us an answer in 1 John. Beloved, now we are children of God. If you're saved, that describes you. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. So when are we going to be like him? When he's revealed. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So how long does this process continue till? Till he's revealed. So when we come to the measure of stature of Christ is when Christ is revealed. So um, I put it this way. This does not happen fully until we are glorified. Until the, we are with Christ at, at death or at his second coming, whichever comes first. And by second coming, I mean the full events because we're expecting the rapture. So I'm, it's just the full, full end-time events that I'm saying here. Not, you know, do you understand this? I'm not going to go into the whole eschatology, but okay. Um, but it's, this is a process that should be happening daily and continually in our lives. This is the sanctification process. So what should be happening is each day we should be increasing in our knowledge of doctrine, of teaching. Each day we should be increasing in our knowledge and our intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. Each day we should be increasing in this maturity, in this completeness, in this perfection in Christ. And each day we should be developing closer and closer in Christ-likeness in our life. It's a sanctification process. And like Pastor Jim said, he's not there yet. But we should, little by little, be drawing closer and closer and closer and closer. That's the goal. That's, that's what this looks like, this equipping of saints. That's what the goal of the church is. That's why we gather together. That's why we're doing this. That's why God has given us these men, these apostles, these prophets, these evangelists, these pastor teachers. That's why God has put us together to work, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that we minister to each other, that we build each other up, so that we see this maturity happening in the believer's life. That's why the church exists, in part, so that we grow in our Christ-likeness. So, as we look at this, um, the three points I hear here, the church is led by God's appointed leaders, the ministry of the church is carried out by the saints, and the goal of the church is maturity of the saints. So uh, that's just the summary of the three points this morning. And so we look at what is the vision of the church. Well, part of the vision of the church is to equip the saints. And it's done with the pastors leading. The pastors leading the church by training believers, the church serving, believers ministering uh, to others under the pastor's guidance and the Holy Spirit's leading. And I think that's that's both good. I think... You know, we look at this, that God has given these men to lead us, to guide us, to direct us, to teach us, but it's under the, the Holy Spirit's leading. We can't forget that. And I think uh, Pastor Strope made an excellent point about the Holy Spirit this morning, and Pastor Jim's been teaching about the Holy Spirit, so it, it's been good. And then the people growing, believers moving towards Christ-likeness in their personal lives and as a church body. Uh, so that's what we looked at uh, this morning. Um, and... So if you go to the front page, I just want to, I want to read over the vision statement just once more to get it in our mind. Uh, so that top two-thirds of your sheet is what's on the vision statement. The vision, the purpose of North Northridge Baptist Church. This is what we see as our purpose as a church. To glorify God and exalt Jesus Christ by making disciples and equipping believers. 
making disciples by going, proclaiming the message of salvation both in our worship service and as individuals, by baptizing, identifying new believers with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and by integrating them into the church body, by teaching, instructing believers in God's truth by accurate, exegetical, and thorough teaching of the Bible, and by equipping the saints, pastor-leading pastors, leading the church by training believers, church-serving believers, ministering to each other under their pastor's guidance and Holy Spirit's leading, and people growing, believers moving towards Christ's likeness in their personal lives and church body. So, at this point, I'm going to open up for questions, comments, thoughts. Again, I'm not going to be offended by this. This is a third draft. Things can be changed. Um, we've written this up. We've talked about it, but we're fallible men. This is not, what we've written is not the Bible. It's not inspired of God. It, it's, we make mistakes uh, we don't think things through. We leave things off. So you're not going to offend us. We want your input. This is, not, this is our thoughts, but we want this to be the church's vision, not Sean's vision, not Jim's vision, not the deacon's vision. Uh, so please feel free to share. Who wants to be second? I say that because nobody wants to be first, so... Have the Holy Spirit first, and then the pastor's got you. Okay. I'm going to mark that on my sheet. Um, actually, I'm going to grab uh, the actual vision statement because that's where we actually won't probably want to change it on. Well, that's not the vision statement. That's last week's teaching. So I actually lied because that's not the vision. Ah, here it is. It is up here. There's just somebody put the teaching on top of the vision statement. Okay. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just making a statement of fact. No, that makes that makes logical sense. Yeah. That, that can be easily changed. That's a cut and paste. So I like easy changes. Any other thoughts? Your silence means that I my teaching was awesome and I'm just ex- no I don't know. Yeah, I know. I I'm, I'm being facetious. I uh I I get the luxury of having uh another Sunday school teacher at my house who uh listens to my teaching while I'm in the room and I get to hear myself teach and uh I don't know if you've ever listened to yourself after talking in public. But it's cringeworthy. It's it's really you go. Oh, did I really say that? Oh, that's awful. Oh no. So it's it's a very humbling experience to have to actually when you're up here talking, you don't hear yourself. You just talk. But having to listen to yourself recorded is just oh, it's terrible. Um, I don't know how you people put up with me. Honestly, it's I'm surprised I'm not stoned every week after I'm done. So. Well, it's, then God is using me greatly for your sanctification, and I'm thankful for that. Um, anyway, so I'm giving you one more chance here. I'm not trying to prolong this because I know you all want to go home and eat and uh, watch the Packers have a great victory over the Bears. But um, Okay, I will go ahead and close in prayer then, and I will let you have the rest of the day. Heavenly Father, uh, we praise you, Lord, and we thank you for this time in your word. Uh, We just thank you that uh, 
you have put together this organiz organization, this organism that you call the church, Lord. And um, as Pastor Strope mentioned this morning, uh, before Christ, uh, you worked through the nation Israel, and it was just it was hard for us as Gentiles to even break into that and be a part of that. But uh, your glorious mystery of the church, you brought forth through your Son Jesus Christ, and uh, now all have access by faith to you. And uh, through the death of your Son Jesus Christ, through faith in Him, Lord, we uh, now have access to the Father. Uh, Lord, we're so thankful that uh, you work through this body. We thank, we're thankful that you've given us your spirit, that we all have access directly to you uh, through your spirit and through the work of your son. Uh, we're thankful that we um, have the opportunity to serve you, uh, that your spirit indwells us, and that we uh, are, have this victory over sin, that we can walk in your ways, Lord. We just pray that you would help us to be uh, fully committed to serving you in each and every day and each and every moment. Help us to walk in your ways. Help us to not grieve the Spirit, not quench the Spirit, but to walk in the Spirit. Uh, may we take your teaching of your word, both from uh, the morning service and from what we learned this morning, and put it in practice in our life that uh, we may be more faithful to you. Help us to grow in our Christ-likeness each and every day, uh, that we draw closer to you and know you better. Uh, Lord, we're just so thankful for this time now. In Jesus' name, amen.